Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. All those greatest players in NFL history and how we love to talk about them. Well, we talk about jersey number by jersey number, and sequentially we're going through. We are on jersey number two with our guest, Oz Davis, fellow podcaster on Sports History Network. Stay tuned for what we found. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. Your host, Darren Hayes, is podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So as we come out of the tunnel of the Sports History Network, let's take the field and go no huddle through the portal of positive gridiron history with pigskindispatch.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. The Pigskin Dispatches podcast of the quest of finding the best players of each jersey number continued with jersey number two when we had Oz Davis of Truly the Goats podcast and the Sports History Network's showcase came on to talk about the best players wearing that number. All right, now it's that time in our program. We're going to continue with our substantial players that wore jersey numbers. And tonight's topic is the number two in football history and we have a special guest with us it's oz davis of the sports history network's truly the goats podcast and you can find oz on the sports history network with uh, that podcast truly the goats he also does the shn showcase where i've been on that episode uh where you've he goes over and talks about the hosts of the different podcasts of the sports history network and is growing all the time Uh, i'd like to bring him in right now Oz Davis, welcome to the Pigpen. Great to be here. Great to be here. Always love a chance to talk goats. And this is a form of goat talk. In oh, absolutely. The best in every number. So we're just yeah, we're just sorting them out a little bit, you know? But you know Yeah. Need some sorting here. We need some historical perspective on some of these. Right. All right. So <laughs> let, let, let's lay a little bit of ground rules here. All right. We're not gonna make it we're not making a list. We're not saying, okay, here's our favorite, you know, here's but we are going to take sort of the top five guys of wearing the number two today is what we're discussing. And we're going to miss some, and we're going to mention some other guys, and we're going to miss some along the way. You know, we got 100 days of this, and we're in day two, or day three, <laughs> sorry, day three, we have the zeros. Oh, and, yeah, um, zero. <laughs> so, uh, and there is, there is one gentleman we're going to talk about that we talked with the ones, because he wore a couple different numbers, and we'll get to him in a second. Um, but... We want to make sure we catch everybody. But if we miss some, we want our listeners to uh, contact me at pigskindispatch at gmail.com. Let us know who we missed when they wore the number two. And we'll catch it up on a future broadcast and uh, try to clean up some of these uh, loose ends. Because I know we're going to miss some. And we want the listeners to help. So, Oz, what do you think about the number two? And let's talk strictly pro football because we get into college we have a lot of a lot more guys to talk about there and we could be wow uh, running on forever okay (laughs) i don't want to steal 
the thunder. So I'm going to leave my ultimate choice for last. However, okay, uh, I'm I'm really glad you brought me on for this this show about players who wore the number two and the next show. <laughs> spoiler, uh, the players that wear the number three, uh, because <laughs> because what tends to happen with these numbers is this. Of course, nowadays these numbers are worn by kickers, punters, and the occasional quarterback. Uh, mm-hmm. These these very low numbers. Whereas back in the day, of course, these were serious numbers. I mean, the reason why a guy was one was often because he was the number one guy. He was the most Absolutely. important guy on the team or whatever. And uh, a lot of guys who wear these numbers from the old days, guess what? Get the shaft. Uh, a lot of times this is because there's no video. Uh, if you want to talk really extreme, when we talk about a guy like Patty Driscoll, uh, there's almost no statistics except for points. Um, right. And so it's difficult to, to put this stuff into context. However, you read top, you know, 100 lists, you know, these lists online about best at every number. And it's all about, you know, uh, recency bias. You know, to, to, to say that when there's four Hall of Famers that wore the number two for the majority of their career. And to say that a guy like Matt Ryan you know, is the best player everywhere number two. Well, you know, that's not only recency bias. I think that's bias for statistics and that's bias for uh, the position of quarterback. Um, whereas, uh, I agree. Yeah. Whereas, agree. you know, many founding guys, as we were about to talk about uh, back in the day, wore the number two. Uh, do you want to go through what we've considered the also rounds? I mean, should we, should we talk about some of well, the, some of how, about, the... how about if we talk about we, we have four gentlemen in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame that wore right. the deuce on their jersey. Look, I mean, let's why don't we get into them first? OK. And because they're sort of the stars of the show of the, the number two. Um Okay, well, I already name-dropped uh, Patty Driscoll. So uh, the case for Driscoll is pretty strong, uh, in the, in the t- let's say, in the top spot at that number two, um, especially if we're trying to build a team, which is actually something I wanted to ask you about. So we should oh. take heed to positions uh, oh, as well. Okay, uh, okay so Pat, Patty is a, is, a, is a favorite of mine because he's there at the formation of the NFL. He's one of the, the seminal players. He's a two-sport athlete. Right. right. So so you have to love that Major League Baseball and professional football. And he also became a football coach, uh, groundbreaking football coach. So so that really, um, you know, put, puts him in my heart uh, in this race. Um, he led the early NFL in scoring twice. Like I say, that's often the only statistic we have from those days. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, he was an all pro at quarterback and kicker. So, right. so these are all these are all nice uh, perks for Patty. Oh yeah, okay. We we talked. I had uh, Larry Schmidt on from the Gridiron Uniforms on talking about the number ones. Oh great! And Patty Driscoll wore number one for a little bit in his career. Oh. So we so we we chat a little bit about him, but we we learned some interesting things on our last episode about Patty Driscoll. Um, first of all, going into his college days, he, in the nineteen nineteen Rose Bowl, he was on the Great Lakes team that beat right. Mare Island Marine Base. And he threw a pass uh, to George Hallis in the Rose Bowl. I mean, kind of some big name dropping there. And they <laughs> they sort of had, they crossed paths later on in life, too. Because uh, you know, Driscoll was with the Chicago Cardinals, I believe, in the beginning of his NFL career. 
And at some point, uh, there was a rival league that came up, and the original AFL, and they had a team from Chicago. <laughs> we had they had a team from Chicago, uh, and if the name escapes me right now, but they, the AFL team did, and they Driscoll was going to go to that team, according to Larry, and George Hallis came in and said, "Hey, we can't lose one of our major stars," and he offered a trade, sent some cash to the Cardinals, and uh, Driscoll went to the other side of Chicago to play for. Uh, it's a sort of a a love triangle of Chicago football teams back back in the twenties for well, Driscoll. Yeah, in the in the twenty in the teens, twenties, and thirties, we can even say um, you have to understand that that before the formation of leagues in America, everything was semi-pro. Even going into uh, the pre-World War II period, right? Everything is semi-pro. You have regional leagues. Right. Okay. There's a whole big state called California that, until 1962, does not have professional baseball. Does not have major league baseball, I should say. Instead, you get stuff like the Pacific Coast League and the Western and stuff like this, right? In right. baseball. Now, in football, it's the same kind of thing. However, in Ohio, especially and and Pennsylvania to a great extent. People are football crazy, right? Professional, semi-pro football. Let's I'm glad crazy. you put the word football ahead of uh, Pennsylvania, Ohio being crazy. <laughs> 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 yeah, you lunatics. Yeah, uh, I could have been bad. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Columbus, crazy place. Um, eerie. Ooh. Um, so, um, but yeah, these places in particular are just hotbeds, hotbeds of, of teams. And of course, you know, these teams tend to be uh, local teams, right? They're made up of the guys who worked at, for example, the steel plants. Right. Or, right, for example, right. the packing plants. Right. Where yeah. we still keep those names. And so, you know, Ohio and Chicago and Pennsylvania are just these hot, hot bits like everybody's coming out of these three states, you know, uh, at least in the semi pro leagues. Um, so. Yeah, uh, Chicago was a highly competitive market. We would say nowadays uh, for semi-pro football. Um, all right, so, how about uh, yeah? Sure. So, so I think we can agree that Driscoll is in our top five of the. Well, okay, I did not listen to the number one, uh, the podcast number one because it hasn't been released yet. Uh, that's right. So I, so I haven't heard it. But but did you choose? Um, we we at, didn't at number one. No, no, we didn't. We didn't rank them. Like I said. We we didn't rank them, but we want to make sure we ca- capture the big hitters. As long as we get, you know, we say there's, you know, okay. like we're saying, there's, let's say our top five here, and then we have the the also right. rans because we're going to run into a lot of kickers just like we did with the number ones. Uh, okay. And, you know, there, there is a kicker that's going to show up. Well, I guess in number three is our next episode. Uh, but the Hall of Famers definitely, I think, should be mentioned, especially the, there's four of them. With the, the well, yeah, now you've also got uh, two more of these founding era members of the NFL. Right. Wearing number two, right? Again, accentuating the importance of these low numbers back in the early days. Uh, you have Walt uh, Kiesling, who is mostly known. Now, again, talk about defying statistics. Here's an offensive lineman uh, in the 20s and 30s, right? Mm-hmm. He was mostly known as the run black at the run blocker for Ernie Nevers, um, who was, you know, quite the stud 
back in those days. And the important thing to remember about the offensive line positions in those days is you could do this thing called running interference, right? Right. Which is where you're basically setting a moving pick the whole way with your runner. And uh, this was made illegal, what, in the 50s, I believe, because for a long time they're playing with this. And it was just basically an injury creator, this play, um, just taking out guys for the sake of taking them out of the play. And, but that was that was Keith's thing. That, that was his job is to, is to be that running interference on the sweeps, which never swam over and over and over again. I mean, just, just to – to show, I mean, like you said earlier, alluding to what Kiesling, who he played for in the beginning of the NFL, the teams he played for, Duluth Eskimos, Pottsville mm-hmm. Maroons, Chicago Cardinals, Chicago Bears, Green Bay Packers, filling their names, Pittsburgh Pirates. The Pirates, or the Pittsburgh was the Pirates for two years before they were the Steelers in the early right. 30s. I mean, that's that's a lot of uh, teams. There's 14 original teams, and he, I think we mentioned uh, three or four of them that uh, Keisling uh, played for back in and the, 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 the Pottsville 20s. Maroons. The Pottsville Maroons is the legendary. It's one of the legendary teams. Oh of yeah, the, of the early NFL. Just just talk about you know. Again, nowadays we would call that a small market, right? <laughs> but. They were so they played so far above their station that they were able to woo Keesling over there because I mean they did the rest of their team was mostly you know, locals right or right. folks from the area but they brought Keesling aboard they were they were that competitive and in fact there was that one year again back in the day uh, they didn't actually have playoffs and much like the college system they would just vote for a champion. <laughs> and of course, in '25, uh, the Maroons. I, I'm not sure if Kiesling was on that '25 team, but the '25 Pottsville Maroons went undefeated and were cheated out of the title because of a technicality. They had played an exhibition game right, in right. New York City that they weren't supposed to, and um, against Notre Dame, <laughs> no less. <Yeah. laughs> Back in those days when pro teams used to play college teams, how weird is that? And uh, so they were cheated out of the title, which went to the Chicago. There you go, Cardinals, in fact. Um, the other player uh, that uh, comes from these seminal days that we have at number two is, is William Roy Lyman. Uh this guy, here's another guy that I really like, the classic Swiss Army Knife player of the 20s. Um, he played substantial amounts of games at five positions, uh, won three of the first titles of the NFL with Canton and then Cleveland, 22, 23, and 24, and ultimately played for 16 years. In the old days, that's a big deal. And 15 of those years, his team's had winning records. You know what? And he had one of the greatest nicknames, I think, of ever football. Oh, Link, yes. Link Lyman. I mean, that, that just oh. that just like brings fear to me right now. If I had to, hey, I'd have to play against Link Lyman today. Oh. <laughs> but this this dude, he, I mean, he was a giant first time. Six yep. foot two, 233 pounds back in the 20s. You know, that's that's a mammoth guy right there. That's a big guy this day and age. But for NFL football, that was a really large person playing. Oh, yeah. And, and, and he played everywhere, right? He'd come at you from the safety position or from the line. 
you know, oh, yeah. depending depending on the formation. So, I mean, just a totally versatile player. Again, really a victim of lack of video, lack of stats. Uh, because just to say that he was a member of these many winning teams is 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 basically the only stat we have uh, on this guy. But- one of, one of his most famous things, though, is in 20, 1925, he joined the Chicago Bears on the barnstorming tour of uh, Red Grange. I mean, yes. so he uh, got, got around a little bit, too. The barnstorming thing does not get the respect, uh, A, that it once did, and B, that it really deserves. Um, you see this a lot um, with the uh, baseball players, especially the Negro League players uh, of the past mm-hmm. in baseball. Is that you know these were legitimate tours you know th- these were legitimate players on these things and yeah they were mostly playing like whatever you know Duluth or whoever could scrape up but you know and these were might, legitimate teams they may have two or three games in a weekend too for football sure <laughs> sure <laughs> sure sure and, and it also points it also points to the amount of money. These guys were making mm-hmm. yes. that this was actually a way to make money is to, you know, sell out to play local teams and, you know, risk injury. I mean, we're talking about football here. And in fact, like they say, football is more dangerous when you're playing against guys who don't know what they're doing. But, right. <laughs> you're more likely to get a stupid injury because the guy's not doing what he's supposed to do. You know, he's screwing around out there or whatever. So, you know, it just points to the the low uh, esteem athletes used to have in it, American society. And yeah, and you think about it too, they had little or no equipment in those days. You know, I, yep. I think, you know, maybe a leather helmet, maybe some, you know, some kind of padding on your shoulders, you know, everything else is, it's basically bare knuckles, you know, you're, <laughs> and, you're uh, <laughs> and it was, it was a rough game. It was very rough. Yep. I mean, it's and a rough game played now. 16 years. Right. Yeah. That's you know, amazing. That's amazing. Pretty feat. hardcore. Link Lyman, love that name. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we we have what we have one more Hall of Famer, one more of the yeah old timey guys, a bit yeah. more modern day. Played in the forties. Uh, um, okay, so Charlie Trippy um, oh, yeah. came to fame as part of the so-called Dream Backfield, which was originally called the Million Dollar Backfield. Okay, now. I guess Trippy, in the player's estimation, he gets into the Hall of Fame because he was the first guy to sign for $100,000 uh, <laughs> with an NFL team. Okay, so he's the, he broke the 100000 barrier for football players. Um, he's part of that dream backfield. He's really the key player in the field, which includes uh, Paul Chrisman, Pat Harder, and Elmer Angsman. Now, I believe the first two are in the Hall of Fame. I don't know about Angsman. Uh, but... Uh, on that $100,000 contract, he basically paid dividends pretty much immediately. Uh, 1947, that's when the Cardinals uh, legitimately won the championship, uh, the NFL championship. And that's the last NFL championship they won, I believe. Um, I believe so. And the only one besides the one that they were named to in 25. Uh, in that game, Trippy had a 44-yard run as well as a 75-yard punt return. Probably would have been the MVP if they did those things in those days. Uh, so, um, really, one of uh, the first big names, I would say, um, you know, in terms of money, 
<laughs> and sports in America. But you know, interesting story about him. A little bit of background on when Trippy was signed for a hundred grand. Charles Bidwell was the owner of the Chicago Cardinals, and uh, he uh, he signed him, so he had that million dollar backfield. But the Bidwell never got to see that backfield play. He passed mm-hmm. away in the off season before the the season started with that, and they won the championship after he passed. So that, that kind of sucks for him after he shelled out the cash. And, you know, I'm like, that's like something would happen to me, you know, but you got oh, to feel on. bad for, you got to feel bad for him, you know, to, to have that happen, you know, but, uh, but uh, yeah, uh, trip trippy. And originally Angsman wasn't even on in that backfield the, the original million dollar backfield. A uh, Marshall Goldberg was with harder and Chrisman and trippy. And Angsman ended up uh, replacing Goldberg. It's like mm. a couple years later, I guess. Oh. Uh, I don't remember that, but <laughs> yeah. I remember yeah, I wasn't reading there. that. I wasn't there. Yeah. Yeah, I am I old, but not that old, you know. Mm. <laughs> uh, another, another thing is Trippy, um, <laughs> they played an ice, a game on ice uh, at Comiskey Park. And I believe it was, it might have been a championship right. game. It was a big game. And Trippy had the wherewithal. To put on basketball shoes. Yeah, the sneaker game. The sneaker yeah. game. <laughs> That's right. That's and right. They ended, up, they ended up going down to the local university, stealing from the, out of the locker room, the boys' locker yeah. room, <laughs> brought the whole football team sneakers to. <laughs> yeah, supposedly the score was 0 0 at half, and they changed into Converse, basically, Converse yeah, right. high tops. And uh, they won something like, what, 14 nothing or something? I, I don't yeah, remember yeah, the particulars, but. Yeah, the basketball, it, uh, the sneaker. I, I, yeah. I mean, I live on. I got ice outside my house right now, and the last <laughs> thing I would think of to put on on ice would be sneakers. But hey, whatever, you know, whatever floats your boat. I guess I just think it works. Well, for it must it. have been. It must have been like a rink. It must have been like an ice skating rink, right? It must have been sheer because wearing the cleats, they'd be tap dancing on that, right? And yeah, then but, that would be the excuse to change to rubber sole. Yeah, uh, I don't know. So. <laughs> Doesn't sound so. like a lot of fun, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, winning the championship, hey. Well, that well, that, that probably made okay. him a little warmer after that game. <laughs> yeah, takes the sting out of it. All right, now I think we get a little bit interesting, though. We okay, we got those four. So Uh-oh. in review, we have Driscoll, Keisling, Lyman, Trippy, all in a Hall of Fame. Now it gets a little tougher, my friend. We want to have, you know that. A five a five man uh, Rush, Mount Rushmore of you know, <laughs> we'll steal from some of our other fellow podcasts the, the, the number two. All right, uh, there's there's some choices. I mean, we've got a handful of quarterbacks that have had some playing time that I can come up with, and we have a bunch of kickers. Uh, unless you have you know somebody <laughs> somebody else to kickers now. now let me let me name off some kickers for you, okay? Just give some choices here. I have David Akers, Steve Christie, Rob Baronis, Todd, P- Todd Peterson, Mason Crosby, Mike Nugent, Jay Feely, Nick Folk, and we have a punter, Dustin Colquitt, who's a little bit uh, more modern. Had a rough year this year, a bunch of different teams, but... So that, that's our, our kickers. Now, our quarterbacks, uh, some are contemporary. We have Matt Ryan still playing, Doug Flutie, 
Aaron Brooks and Tim Couch. Unless you have some more to add to that. That's who I saw sort of the substantial names that had some starting time wearing a number two. First off on punters, I just want to say this. Uh, I, I, In my estimation, okay, I can only say for sure, pure punters. Now, we're not talking Sammy Baugh because Sammy Baugh is clearly a Hall of Famer. But for pure punters, I think in my lifetime I have seen two punters that deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. Ray Guy, who's there, right, after mm. many, many years it took him, and Johnny Hecker. Okay. Uh, nobody else I'm going to put in the Hall of Fame, so so I'm not going to – I don't think I'm going to consider Dustin Colquitt here. Uh, <laughs> now you, you wanted to talk the merits of Rob Baronis. Well, I, I think uh, I think Baronis was a great kicker. I mean, uh, probably one of our uh, – Mr. Uh, Jeremy McFarlane would probably put Baronis in the Hall of Fame right now. He's a <laughs> Titans fan. But, I, I mean, I, I think Baronis was he – was, he was a stud kicker. And to boot, he married Terry Bradshaw's beautiful daughter, Rachel. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what a, what a tragedy, though. Three year, three months after they were married, that's when he got in that SUV car crash and, mm-hmm. and passed away. You know, a year out of the NFL, has a beautiful wife and really doesn't get to enjoy it. That's, I mean, it's a sad story. But I agree with you. I don't know that we can put him in Hall of Fame talk, you know? Yeah, yeah. You've you're, you're, you're got four Hall of Famers, three – well, actually, all four seminal players, right? They're all, like, firsts in some area. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm – no, I think for me this is clear cut. And, in fact, if I had to pick one, I would take the controversial choice. And I'm going to go with Doug Flutie. Okay, now, uh, part of this is because I'm a CFL guy. And so in that case, it might be better to have him at 20 or 22. But at 20, you have Barry Sanders. And at 22, mm-hmm. you have Emmett Smith. So so yeah. that's, there's not much of a comparison there. But look, here's the thing about Doug. Okay. You know that show, that show, uh, Football Life, right? A Football Life. Right. Okay. That show, this show's, I, I don't know if it's still on it. It's got 11 seasons. Okay. It took them four seasons to get to Doug Flutie. Okay. Now, now who has more of a football life than this guy? All right. <laughs> he, he won the Heisman Trophy. And in so doing so, I mean, it's not just like he had one good play. He had four good years for that school. He put Boston College back on the football map oh, after yeah. decades of obscurity. Okay. They were in the top 10 when he was with them. Okay. And trust me, I was living in the Boston area at this time. I know this. <laughs> He, he then went to, after not being drafted high enough, okay, the 11th round, all right? So today this translates as he wouldn't get drafted, okay, in today's draft, right? He went to the New Jersey Generals of the awesomest league ever, for those who were there, <laughs> the United States Football League, for the team owned by, uh, okay, let's not talk about that. But then the, the league gets into trouble, and Flutie manages to crack the Chicago Bears roster as basically a fourth-string quarterback, mm-hmm. okay, and still got to play that first year because of so many damn injuries because their offensive line was so horrible, I guess. Uh, and he actually got a start that year. Okay, he's traded to the Patriots, takes over his quarterback when the team's, I think, two and three or three and three. Anyway, goes six and three and puts them in the playoff race. And then a combination of Steve Grogan and Tony Easton stop me if you've heard this before. 
gets them the loss, and they miss the playoffs. I mean, goes to the CFL, Canadian Football League, he dominates. Okay, in eight seasons, wins three great cups, three times he's most outstanding player. They don't have most valuable player there. They have most outstanding player. Six times wins the league most outstanding player. Six times in eight years. Okay, that's 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 better than Warren Moon did. Okay. Yeah. He comes back to the NFL. He played for the Buffalo Bills. He goes 17 and 8 as a starter in those two years. But with the Bills, he was number seven, though. He lost his number oh, two yeah. jersey. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Yeah, but he'll get it back, as we see. He'll get it back. <laughs> I mean, okay, in 99, oh, my God, particularly egregious. I, I'm not even a Titans fan. I'm not even a Bills fan. I still have flashbacks about this. Um, he goes 10-5 and five as the starter for the Bills. Rob Johnson comes in week 17, wins, and then coach decides to go with Rob Johnson against the Titans. Yeah. In what yeah. becomes the Memphis Miracle. Johnson goes 10 of 22, has 131 yards, six sacks taken, zero touchdowns. <laughs> My God. After, at the age of 35, he gets his first real starting job in San Diego. Unfortunately, they were terrible. He went 5 and 11. But then, of course, finally, at the age of 43. So basically, like, is he the oldest Ever to be listed as a Patriots quarterback? Uh, Was Brady forty three? No, I think he's uh, no, I think he's uh, what forty two this year, right? Right. So there you go. <laughs> and he's, he's not a Patriot. Oldest, yeah, he's the oldest Patriot ever, basically at forty three, and he does. He does the he well, does the at uh, least until Brady goes to retire and has that one day thing where that, he retires yeah. a Patriot or you know, yeah he'll be like you know, forty eight or something yeah could very well be that's right yeah I was thinking about that just the other day actually uh, so so and then he comes back to the Patriots and in his last game ever his last play ever is that drop kick right the first drop kick uh, field goal that had ever been made in sixty four years right and now. And now he does commentary for Notre Dame games. Okay. That's a football life. This guy, I mean, and, and not just in the sense that he played for so long in so many leagues and and had these accolades. Not even so much that. It's just that what guy more overcame what every single coach in the NFL consistently saw as a shortcoming, namely his height. What guy is pluckier, right? What guy, oh, like, took more crap just for a chance to play more football? You know? Absolutely. S- you know, uh, I mean, he's just – for me, he's just one of the ultimate American football players. Not, a, not the best, not the greatest, not the GOAT, but just – he is plucky, plucky. That was a good word you use. Plucky. Right. I mean, and, and he had a cereal named after him for God's sake. You know? Yeah. I mean, I mean, uh, in Canada, dude, in Canada, this guy is a hero. I mean, it's, oh. I mean, he's still a legend as well as his brother because he actually got to play with his brother as a wide receiver uh, out there in Calgary for a few years. He he's uh, still a, he still is a, a hero here. I mean, we're only hundred miles oh, from shit. Buffalo here, and he's still you know. If you say, "Hey, who's the top quarterback for Buffalo?" He's still, still, you know, mentioned in oh, yeah. that. He's beloved so. in Boston still, of course. Yeah, you know, for BC for that little bit on the Patriots. Um, you know, now now they love him in college because he does the Notre Dame games. I mean, you know, just just you know, uh, a guy who had to live on his smarts. You know, a guy who had to live against expectations. He had to play against expectations, um, and. 
basically, I mean, for what he was given, he was a success story. It was a success story all around. All right, I I can buy that, but I'm, I'm gonna like I want to talk a little bit about you know Matt Ryan though because I think okay. you know, Ryan's Ryan's still playing, still playing at a high level. I mean his teams that haven't been very good the last couple of years, but he has been in a Super Bowl, probably a Super Bowl they should have won. He had a, he had a pretty good game until you know whatever happened in the fourth quarter of that game. You know that was like the the 25 point run by the Patriots in the fourth quarter to tie the game and they win in overtime. But it was it was a collapse of a team, uh, but. You know, Ryan's had a pretty decent decent career. Um, I mean, so so far up through this season, I mean, he's got over fifty five thousand yards passing, three hundred forty seven touchdowns, one hundred fifty eight interceptions. That's a pretty good ratio. Uh, you know, like I said, he played in the Super Bowl twenty sixteen. He was he was a first team All Pro. He's been in uh, four Pro Bowls, I believe. Uh, not a bad career since 2008. Another Boston College guy. Yeah, you know, yeah I was going to say. You know? <laughs> and he, he was awesome at BC, too. Um, yeah. I've was. always been a big, uh, I wouldn't say a big Matt Ryan fan, but I've been a big uh, Matt Ryan defender through the years. But, you know, again, the truth is, okay, okay, look, here's an example. Okay. You know, of course, that that Emmett Smith is the number one rusher of all time in terms of yardage. Walter Payton is number two. You know who number three is, right? Um, no, not sure right now. Okay, number three is Frank Gore. Ah, oh, okay. okay, right, right. Now a lot of people. Yeah, go, I knew somebody what? went past Brown. I just couldn't remember who <laughs> went past Brown. Well, Sanders is four. Sanders is four. Peterson is, is trying to catch up at at five. So, but a lot of people, you say that too, and they go, really. Right. And even you have to think about it. Really? Wow. He's been around for a long time. Right. But on the other hand, you get the feeling that 20 years from now, they're going to be going, huh? Frank Gore. Right. Who's that? <laughs> you know, I remember Barry Sanders, you know, the greatest lion of all time. You know, I remember I, I've heard of him, you know, even though he never played in the Super Bowl or anything. You know, uh, you know Adrian Peterson, of course. You know, he was a monster from Minnesota those few years. I've heard of him, but and so I feel the same way about Ryan. You know, big stat guy, um, but you know, you just don't think you, you think of of a Brady, of a Peyton Manning, um, you know, and you just think magic. You know, and, like they they do magic, but Ryan. And, and Ryan's had always had at least one stud receiver with him. I mean, yeah. had Julio for years. That's you know, nice to have Julio Ridley Jones. now, uh, who was the, the guy that was when he first came up. Uh, he had a couple of real good. Uh, was Andre Risen still a Falcon? Wow. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe I'm going yeah. back too far. I, you know, but they they did have some good receivers before Julio. You know, the, mm-hmm. uh, the name escapes me right now, but. I mean, he may be. He may ultimately be like the best quarterback to wear number two, but I don't know. I don't know. Not to me. It's 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 not that that top echelon. You know, he's, he's never going to make a list of top ten all time quarterbacks. I don't care if he goes down with the third or fourth most yards of all time. You know, 
I just don't. I just can't imagine that. I can't imagine he's discussed with Peyton Manning or or oh, even no, no, you know no. Johnny Unitas. You know, even even going back to those days. So, so that's what that's what separates. Plus, I just have as the guy that does two of the goats. I just have the natural aversion to the modern guy. <laughs> okay. I will I will always argue about today's today's guy. I, I always have the skeptical eye on the modern player. Just because I think we're too prone these days to recency bias. We're okay. too prone to looking at that YouTube clip and going, greatest of all time. You know? Let's, so. let's talk about another interesting guy we've mentioned. Okay. Uh, Aaron Brooks. Hmm. I mean, Aaron Brooks, uh, nice career. Uh, played a total of was a seven seasons, six of them with the Saints. Uh, was their starting quarterback from 2001, basically through 2005. He's uh, had 123 touchdowns in his career, 92 interceptions. So, you know, probably, you know, a little bit, little bit more TDs. You'd probably like to see a little bit less interceptions in there. Had a little over 20,000 yards passing in, in his career. Uh, didn't win any championships. Uh, didn't go to any Pro Bowls. But... He was a he was a serviceable quarterback, a nice quarterback that played on some average teams. Let's say yeah, average. <laughs> You're being kind. Of, yeah. <laughs> this is the Saints before Breeze, right? So right. Well, yeah. they I mean they had some good. His first year, they were three and two. As his his record as yeah. quarterback, three and two, seven and nine in two thousand one. Then he went on a little bit of a run. They were nine and seven, eight and eight, eight and eight. And then he fell off the deep end a little bit, went three and ten with him. But it's <laughs> probably well, why he was no longer a saint after that year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Brooks is Brooks is uh, a more compelling choice here than than Ryan. But yeah, the yeah Brooks just never. Um, I mean, he was out of the league at age thirty one, right? So yeah, never yeah, was um, fairly young man. To, victim of a short career, basically, just. Yeah. Football career, <laughs> <laughs> and then, then the the other interesting one who uh, I mean had all the you know one of the top picks in the draft. I think he was a top pick in the draft. Tim Couch, uh, mm-hmm. when the Browns were came back in, you know the old Browns were the yeah. Ravens. Uh, the new Browns, Browns came in up. in the late nineties. Mm-hmm. Couch was their number one pick out of Kentucky, six foot four, two twenty. You know, great resume in college. Uh, what What do you think happened to Tim Couch? You know, I'm I'm kind of a believer in team culture, and I think there's some of that there. I think that look if you, if you look at the Browns' history until very recently, uh, since that 2.0 move. Um, they're just snake bit, right? They just they never seem to coalesce as an organization. You know, I remember that year they were on hard knocks, right? And this was uh, supposed to be, you know, one of their breakout years. They're going to turn it around and stuff. And and you're looking at their coaching staff, and these guys are all lunatics, you know, talking about World War II and stuff. Um, you know, they spent a good ten minutes of one episode talking about the dog that hangs out at the office there you know it's just like come on now to me i mean it's just it's kind of like a cincinnati Bengals situation where throughout the entire 21st century the bengals have been running with a scouting budget that's half 
of the next uh, cheapest team. Um, right. It's stuff like that becomes ingrained, I think, in a team's culture, and it just swamps everything. You know, yeah. it just swamps the, the the possibility. I mean, it was like, okay, here's another example because I was actually covering them at the time, the Raiders. In the post-Gannon years until, again, uh, very recently, you know, uh, we could could basically put this at Carr and Del Rio, um, were a joke. And, I mean, it was to the point where uh, players would give interviews and they'd say, yeah, you'd go to practice one day and there would be a new coach on the sideline. And, And, you know, we'd ask, what's his job? And nobody knew. (laughs) <laughs> it's just this assistant to an assistant to an assistant because they like Davis. You know, they're good friends of Davis, you know. And it's just like But you know, so so I think culture killed couch. Well, I think something else killed couch, because I'm looking at his stats. He had fourteen starts in his rookie year, fifty-six sacks. Second yeah. year second year, seven starts. I assume he got injured, ten sacks. Third year he had 16 starts, 51 sacks. He had two seasons over 50 in the sack department. Yeah. So, I mean, he it wasn't like – I mean, he was somewhat mobile. He wasn't – I wouldn't – he wasn't a, a straight-up statue, but he, they had no de, no offensive line yeah. to, to say, you know, as an expansion team basically coming in. They, we, he got we don't We don't have a large sample size, but as you recall, the expansion Texans were the same way. They even drafted a lineman with the number one overall pick. And for years and years and years, their line was brutal. And uh, David Carr, Mm -hmm. or is David Carr with the Raiders now? (laughs) The first Carr, Derek or David, that played with them got absolutely pummeled to the the point where, you know, in his fourth season, he was afraid. I mean, literally, he was afraid of of being out there because he'd already been hit like almost. I think I would be too. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. 56 sacks in your rookie year. (laughs) You're setting records. Yeah, you're setting records. Taken, and so I, it's like I say, it's a very small sample size, but perhaps that's endemic to you know expansion teams or even teams that are massively rebuilding. Like for example, I feel pretty sorry for who's ever going to be quarterbacking the Saints and the Texans next year because I think both of those teams are going to be in full rebuild mode with no right. line to speak of. So you know, couch you know, the fate right. of the number two, right? Yeah. All right. Well, I think we probably beat the dead horse here on the number twos because everything else is kickers. We mentioned them. Uh, some good kickers in there. Nothing against kickers, but you know, we want to talk about the people that are playing some. You know, a lot most of the downs. Uh, not that kickers aren't important. Well, you get these old school guys, dude, and they're crossing over anyway. Right, you get these right. old school guys, and these these quarterbacks are either kicking or punting as well. So there you go. <laughs> right. So, I mean, for our last few minutes here for this this episode, why don't you tell us a little bit about the Truly the Goats podcast? Oh, I would love to. What do you have to offer to. on that? Okay, I like to say that I like to describe Truly the Goats uh, in two ways. One, it's the sports podcast with perspective, or two. It's the sports podcast that redefines that term all-time great. Um, if you want to talk all-time great, come to Truly the Goats. We're really expanding that 
time. Okay, we talk about sports from six thousand years of human history. Uh, the truth is, uh, you want you really want to talk all time great uh, fighters? Great, let's talk some gladiators. Let's talk sumo wrestling in the seventeenth century. Okay, you want to talk some great all time fighters? Hey, we got you. Now, which is not to say that we are completely against twentieth and twenty first century sports figures. Of course not. However, we prefer uh, the folks like Jim Thorpe or Babe Zaharias, who can dominate in more than one sport. I mean, we want to talk real goats here. Let's talk some real generational athletes, guys and, and women who can who can really play the sport and are really once-in-a-lifetime literal athletes. Uh, that's what we, fo- we focus once. Uh, every episode is focused on one athlete. Uh, I think down the road we may uh, focus on a team or two. Um, any for- <laughs> The format tends to change almost every time depending on the subject matter. We always have guests. We always have a narrative. And unfortunately, our schedule has been kind of erratic since COVID kicked in. But I hope to roughly get these out once or twice a month. I'll tell you what, I can tell you as a listener of that podcast, it is absolutely fantastic. It's well done. It's well put together, very entertaining. And and folks out there, if you haven't listened to Truly the Goats on the Sports History Network, please do yourself a favor and listen to it because there is absolutely some great uh, subject matter, matter, all different sports, as uh, Oz yes. said. Uh, I would like to point that out. There should be almost at this point something for everyone. We've got we've got basketball, baseball, football. Uh, like I say, we've got gladiators. We've got super wrestlers. Boxing. We've got professional wrestlers. We've got boxers. Yes. Uh, most recently, actually, I'm trying to get a little traction for this one because it's getting some good attention. Please check out the, the episode 10 of Truly the Goats. It's the latest episode. Uh, focuses on an event called the Super Fight, uh, which was a computerized uh, simulated match between Rocky Marciano and Muhammad Ali. Uh, not many people know that story anymore. It's sort of disappearing in the public consciousness. But it's really outstanding for being really the first attempt to a computer simulate uh, a, a real all-time dream matchup and 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 b really the first attempt to do a sort of all-time matchup really kind of a precursor almost to the madden games we have today wow it, it was definitely a great episode and i want to you know i want to thank you for coming on uh, this is a good time we had tonight um and you know what hey how about we do this again you interested in doing the threes Sure, number three. Number three is okay. Well, look, there's a late breaking news. Oz Davis will be on the next episode of the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch talking about jersey number threes. Oz, we thank you so much for spending time with us tonight and uh, talking about the, the big deuce on the jerseys for the great NFL Hall of Famers and gr- other great legends of the game. And uh, we look forward to talking to you again tomorrow night. Absolutely. Oz Davis, ladies and gentlemen, I told you, he's something special. He is great to talk to, very interesting, very knowledgeable about football history and sports history. Make sure you check his podcast out, Truly the Goats, on Sports History Network, and also on this SHN Showcase. He is uh, really a great uh, great time and very professional in what a production he puts on on that Truly the Goats series. I, I'm a big fan of that. Uh, make sure that you don't miss this podcast. Uh, we 
come out every single day to make sure you know as soon as uh, our next release comes out, you can hit that subscribe button on your podcast. Also, go in there and give us a rating. Uh, give us a good rating. You know, let's let's get up in those rankings if you like us. Uh, you can also find us at the thesportshistorynetwork.com where all of these podcasts and the other 17 podcasts that Arnie Chapman has gone on over there at the Sports History Network. Uh, we're all there for you at the taking and listening pleasure. And you can also go to our flagship website for this podcast pigskindispatch.com forward slash podcast and you'll see all our podcasts there so till tomorrow everybody have a great gridiron day peeking up at the clock the time's running down we're going to go into victory formation take a knee and let this baby run out thanks for joining us we'll see you back tomorrow for the next podcast we invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleet Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Each week, the official Football Learning Academy podcast will take you deep into the history of pro football through interviews with players, coaches, or administrators in the NFL, as well as interviews with Pro Football Hall of Fame selectors, authors, and historians You'll learn how the game evolved and important moments that shaped the sport into what it is today. And don't miss the Pro Football History Nugget of the Week. Listen to the official Football Learning Academy podcast on the Sports History Network. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.